If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 722. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast, find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly, Forgotten Founders. Great stuff. And you get it free of charge if they're giving that email address. And of course, don't unsubscribe from that. I know a lot of people, I send out emails, right? I'll send out emails maybe once a day, sometimes twice a day when I've got a new class or something going on. I'm going to let you know about it there. But whitelist my email address so that you get those emails. You find out about all the good coupons at McClanahan Academy, which is a great way to support the, the program, by the way. Go to McClanahan Academy. You already heard about it. But purchase one or 20 classes there. I've got a new one out. Reading Jefferson Davis, coupon code DAVIS if you want to get $60 off for the next couple of weeks. You're going to want that class because it's a key to our understanding of what the 1850s and 60s were all about. It's really good. Um, but get those emails. Use those coupons I send you. They're, I mean, this is how you save money at McClanahan Academy. And of course, you keep this podcast free of charge when you purchase courses at McClanahan Academy. It's, it's how I make this podcast work. I, I wouldn't uh, be able to do it if it wasn't for that. So uh, make sure you go out there and purchase a class or two classes or 10 classes or 20 classes. It is coming up. You know, we got the holiday season. Black Friday is coming up. I often have deals there too. So be on the lookout for those things. Uh, and when you're doing your holiday shopping, I know the times are getting tough for people. The economy's uh, tanking for a lot of people out there. You've lost some money. Uh, but if you're looking to uh, to buy the gift of knowledge for the holiday season, then McClanahan Academy always makes a great gift for yourself or someone else. Uh, I do recommend them. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. Click on the little heart button under this video, the super thanks button. That way you can contribute to the show through YouTube if you're watching on YouTube, or you can go to anchor.fn and subscribe there. But of course, as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review at Google, or I'm sorry, not at Google, but at uh, the Apple podcast location. You can leave a text review there, or anywhere else you can leave a text review. That way, people can read what you think about the show, and of course, comment on it at, uh, at YouTube and uh, help the algorithm along there. So you can also send me those show requests and today is a listener-generated episode. And um, there's this is a question that has been asked several times because I've used this term. But what is a Straussian? <laughs> and this particular question was interesting because the person said, look, I'm reading these other, these other people, and Leo Strauss keeps coming up. Is it the same Leo Strauss you're talking about when you say Straussians? Well, yes. As a matter of fact, it is. Leo Strauss is a huge figure in intellectual history. And in America, it led to a group of people known as the Straussians. Now, there's even different versions of Straussians. This is the problem. You have the West Coast Straussians, which is Claremont Institute, and you have the East Coast Straussians. 
The East Coast Straussians would be much more in line with, say, your neoconservatives than your West Coast Straussians. But the West Coast Straussians were only able to rescue themselves from that because of their positions on foreign policy more than anything else. The East Coast Straussians tend to be more bellicose. But the West Coast Straussians have adopted positions that were in line with, say, what Make America Great Again was all about. You know, it was... Uh, against immigration, against uh, you know, in, uh, hostile foreign wars and all these things. So they've, they've adopted a nationalistic, but the key is national, right? We have, to, we have to talk about that. They've adopted a nationalistic version of American conservatism. And their intellectual godfather is Harry Jaffa. So Harry Jaffa is a, another huge figure in American conservatism. Um, when I bring up Jaffa, inevitably I'm going to get an email from from Clyde Wilson. He's going to say it's going to say something like this: um, Jaffa is only important because he attacked Mel Bradford, and Mel Bradford made him more important, or at least Mel Bradford attacked Harry Jaffa, and that made Harry Jaffa more important. Or the other way, um, Jaffa might have been more important than that, but I think the profile that he achieved because of not just Mel Bradford but Wilmore Kendall is also important, too. Um, they attacked Harry Jaffa's position of conservatism and what that was because Jaffa was basing it on this belief that, first of all, it's nationalistic. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read what a historian said about Jaffa. I, I don't want to just be me, but right. So this is, this is the consensus on Jaffa. He adopted a very nationalistic position of America. We talked about this yesterday with McClay, right? Nation. He adopted that. He also looked at things uh, in a form that was, you know, this was some type of Greek struggle. Now, this was not unusual. You can even go back to um, various Southerners who did the exact same thing, particularly with the war, right? It was a Greek struggle. But um, Jaffa did it with the Lincoln-Douglas debates, that Lincoln was somehow the embodiment of this great representative of the Western tradition, and Stephen Douglas was not. Stephen Douglas was the antithesis of that. And so Lincoln was the key to understanding America and the glue that held everything together. It was transforming Washington from the glue to Lincoln as the glue. And Jaffa wasn't alone in this. Look, I mean, Americans have been trying to do this since the 1860s. But as a conservative, see, there were still many conservatives who didn't subscribe necessarily to Lincoln as this really great American uh, Lincoln as a man that was worthy of praise or emulation because he did some pretty bad things. He trampled the Constitution. He suppressed civil liberties. He did some things. But Joff was able to say, all right, well, look, Lincoln, though, was the bridge between, say, Jefferson and, uh, and, and you know, to, to Jefferson, right? He was the guy that held the founding generation together. He was the embodiment of the founding generation, et cetera, et cetera. So this is why Lincoln matters. And you you had, you had progressives that would do that too. Herbert Storing in his uh, Anti-Federalist Papers essentially makes the case in the introduction that Lincoln is the Anti-Federalists, <laughs> which is just kind of silly. Or Lincoln is Thomas Jefferson. I mean, this is what they do. You know, Herbert Crowley, tried to put Lincoln and, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Jefferson and Hamilton together, and that would be Abraham Lincoln to, to people like uh, uh, Crowley and others. Lincoln was that fusion and the reconciliation of these irreconcilable parts of the American founding. And so he became the symbol of America. And all these things I talked about with McClay, he became 
a myth in and of himself. All those things that McClay put in that list that were the myths of America can be boiled down to one thing, Abraham Lincoln. It really can. I mean, the Lincolnian myth is the most important myth in all of American history. More important than the Washingtonian myth. More important than the founding generation myth. The Lincolnian myth, because it embodies all of that stuff that McClay listed. You can point back to Lincoln for all of it. And this is where Lincoln is highly problematic. Because the left can use them and the right can use them, and they're both wrong. They both are a distortion of what America actually was in traditional America. And Harry Jaffa, in saying equality is conservative, and Harry Jaffa in adopting this very nationalistic pro-Lincoln thing, and it's, it's a distortion of that. Okay. So I, when I was talking about the Southerners, Basil Gildersleeve, if you've never heard of him before, he was the foremost classical scholar in the United States, but he certainly looked at the struggle as a... Uh, an American uh, Peloponnesian War, right? And uh, so go out and look at Basil Gildersleeve. I actually talk about Gildersleeve at McLean Academy in my Southern Intellectual and Cultural History class. It's a four-part class, but I cover Gildersleeve there. If you want to get that, you can buy it as a bundle. You get all four classes for a major discount. And even when I do sales, I'll discount the bundles. So you can get all four classes for a really good price. And when I say four classes, you get over 100 lectures. So... Um, it's like getting a hundred podcasts uh, in one shot. It's really good. And so when I say, you know, if you like this podcast, I've said it before on the, if you like this podcast, you're really going to like McClanahan Academy. It's the same kind of format. Sometimes I use PowerPoints and I go through things, uh, but I often talk about primary documents and other things. So there's different types of classes there. You just got to go through and over 20 and look at them. All right. So let me talk about uh, this. Harry Jaffa situation with the Straussians. And get into, first of all, you have to get this book. If you don't have the conservative intellectual movement in America since 1945 by George Nash, you're missing out. You can go out and find it used, lots of different places, but get it. It is one of those seminal works that everybody needs to have if you're an libertarian, conservative, even if you're a leftist. You should understand American conservatism. And I think if leftists actually went out and studied it, they would have a better understanding for the people that they're going up against. They're not just a bunch of stupid rubes who don't know anything. American conservatives are very smart people. Even if I disagree with Harry Jaffa, he's not an idiot. Uh, Jaffa was a very bright man. I just don't agree with his positions. Uh, and I'll even say this about Michael Anton. I think that his conclusions can be dopey, but he's not an idiot. Uh, I mean... I, I've said before that these positions are stupid. It doesn't mean that I think Anton is stupid. But um, this, this is where we have to get that out of the way. American conservatives aren't stupid people. They, they understand things. And oftentimes they know the left better than the left knows themselves. It's just, and they predict it. This is exactly what's going to happen. The left is able to do this, and this is where we're going to get. Why? Because the American population is going, it's, it's what's going to happen. All right, so let me talk about Jaffa, and this is chapter 8. The title is, What is Conservatism in America? The Straussians, Wilmore Kendall, and the Virtuous People. And so I'm going to start, if you, if you have this book or if you get this book, this is page 223. And um, I'm going to start, actually, 222. 
The essentials of this report were considered in certain essays which Burns and others contributed uh, to an, a nation of states in 1963. The Burns he's talking about is Walter Burns. The contrast with mainstream anti-majoritarian conservatism was identified by the inclusion in this collection of two art, of articles by two anti-majoritarians, Russell Kirk and James J. Kilpatrick. Now, Russell Kirk, big figure. A lot of people don't know about James J. Kilpatrick. I am going to work on a class at McLean Academy about states' rights. It's going to be really good when I put it together, but Kilpatrick will be in it. Uh, he was a very important 1950s and 60s American conservative, and he was on a show where, in, and this was parodied at Saturday Night Live, where he would have a debate, right? He lost favor with a lot of people in America because he was an ardent segregationist. And he wrote a, a very interesting book on the Tenth Amendment, but this is why Kilpatrick was kind of pushed aside, right? He was, he was ostracized because of his positions on segregation. But even, I mean, even in the 1970s, he was still recognized as an American conservative, and conservatives had to deal with him. And liberals had to deal with him because he was very good on American government and the federal republic. He was really good on that topic. I mean, even now, you can disagree with his positions on race, but he was very good on that topic. And so this is where you know his understanding as a historian, he's looking at his climate that he's in. He's saying this is what we have to do. This is where this is what needs to be done in the 1950s. But he was really good on American government. So this essay, um, "A Nation of States," contains essays uh, by two anti-majoritarians. So you have this contrast, right? You have these majoritarian conservatives and these anti-majoritarian conservatives. And I don't really want to get into all that, but Harry Joffa is going to come up in this. In one essay, Professor Martin Diamond of Claremont Men's College reinterpreted the Convention of 1787. Not only was it marked by a conflict between the proponents of federalism, that is, a loose league of states, and nationalism, but the ensuing compromise was also a clear victory for the nationalists. So what he's done is flip the entire thing on its head. Now, he's not the first one to say this. You know who else said this? Joseph Story. Right, so I've talked about Joseph's story. I talk about Joseph's story at McClanahan Academy. You need to understand. I talk about Joseph's story and how Alexander Hamilton screwed up America. You need to understand Joseph's story. But essentially, what Diamond is doing is saying that no, we hadn't have this debate between Federalists and Nationalists, which is the real debate, right? It's not large states and small states. It's Federalists and Nationalists. People like Kirkpatrick, I'm sorry, Kilpatrick got this right. When I say Kirkpatrick, Kilpatrick got this right. Russell Kirk got it right. The convention had moved in the nationalist direction and had undermined the old notion that liberty was only attainable in small republics. Instead, a new theory had emerged, a large, powerful republic with a component national government regulated under a wise construction. In another essay, Diamond's colleague, Harry Jaffa, boldly argued the case for a stronger national government, specifically criticizing the strict constructionist Kilpatrick along the way. So, See, Jaffa is not a strict constructionist. Jaffa is a nationalist. He's a loose constructionist. He's a Hamiltonian, a Lincolnian, more importantly than anything else. This is where I'm saying the shift comes. And he is a Straussian. And we'll get into Strauss in a minute. Burns himself argued that the Tenth Amendment, worshipped by states' rights like Kilpatrick, could only be construed as a truism, merely declaratory, of the division of powers in the original unamended Constitution. The original unamended Constitution. 
It's a truism for that, but once we get to the amendments, eh, this is where you get to progressive originalists, right? This is important. This is why I do that. I'm doing this in order this week so we can follow along this intellectual trend here. While he conceded that the early Constitution was amendable, I'm sorry, amenable to diverse interpretations, history had quickly decided in favor of nationalism and of government unhampered by literal construction. With the rather lonely exception of Kirk and Kilpatrick's pieces, the other essays in this volume favored the strong government position. Sooner or later, this brand of conservatism was bound to clash with the prevailing orthodoxy. In a noteworthy exchange between Harry Jaffa and Frank Meyer in 1965, the debate was joined on the issue of Abraham Lincoln. To Jaffa, a political science at Claremont and ardent admirer of Lincoln, the formative document, the fount of principle for the American tradition, was the all-men-are-created-equal clause of the Declaration of Independence. Jaffa was not advocating worldly leveling. He was insisting only that political equality was our defining principle. Quote, it was because men are by nature equal, because, that is, no man is by nature the ruler of another, that government derives its just power from the consent, that is, from the opinion of the governed. End quote. In order to obtain such consent, majority rule, as a practical matter, is required. But the principle of majority rule cannot be divorced from, quote, the principle of the natural equality of political right of all men. This could never be surrendered. It was the basis of our national self-understanding. The Founding Fathers adhered to this principle in the Declaration. So too did Abraham Lincoln. You see, the bridge, Jefferson to Lincoln. This is Harry Jaffa. Very important to understand this. Now, he's not the only one that said this, right? The Republicans of the 1860s said the exact same thing. That's why if you understand the radical Republicans, you understand where we are when we get to Harry Jaffa. And you understand where we are with all these other people that say these exact same things to this day. And this is why when I said in the piece at Chronicles that got Michael Anton all upset, when I said the Declaration, uh, it's all based on an understanding of the Declaration, it was edited incorrectly. What I meant was a distorted version of the Declaration that Harry Jaffa had created out of thin air. And, of course, uh, well, I say created out of thin air. He just regurgitated Abraham Lincoln and the Republicans of the 1850s and 60s. That's all he's doing, right? And this is when you get to progressive excuse me, progressive originalists, they're doing the exact same thing. In response to, in response to Frank Meyer's uh, strictures on Lincoln, Jaffa made three major points. Siding with the nationalists in American history, Jaffa stated that Lincoln had not violated the original Constitution. No, no, no. He hadn't done that at all. In fact, quote, the dominant tradition of American statesmanship, unquote, was anti-secession. Second, fending off charges that Lincoln was a dictator, Jaffa stressed the cautious, undoctrinaire side of the president's policies. Third, citing, uh, chiding Meyer for ignoring antebellum slavery, Jaffa hypothesized Lincoln as the great prophet of our tradition, who saw, quote, the interconnection between free, popular constitutional government and the mighty proposition that all men are created equal. Questions concerning this construction of the Constitution were absolutely subordinate to the principle which gave life and meaning to the whole regime. End quote. So, you see, this is the common tactic even Michael Anton used against me. What about slavery? You're saying you must be pro-slavery because you don't mention it at all. So, therefore, you're pro-slavery. Now, that argument could be made by some stupid leftist who's criticizing the right. But Michael Anton and Harry Jaffa make these arguments. You see, who's the real enemy here? 
Frank Meyer wasn't pro-slavery. Nobody in the 20th century is pro-slavery, but this is their rhetorical charge, and it's stupid. It is stupid. I'm not saying that Jaffa's stupid, but this particular argument is stupid. It's sophomoric and childish. It goes nowhere except to chide somebody, chastise somebody for something they don't believe in. And then you have to spend all your time. This is exactly what happened. Look, Jaffa makes a case that, you know, and people have made this case, that the problem with the Lincoln-Douglas debates is that uh, Douglas put Lincoln on the defensive, and he spent a lot of his time articulating his positions on race because he had to play that game. Well, this is exactly what the Jaffaites, the Straussians, are doing to, uh, well, so you're saying, to, to other conservatives. So uh, what about slavery then? Are you saying that you're pro-slavery? Well, of course not, dummy. Who is in 2022, right? This is what you, I mean, so you spend your time defending, just saying, no, dummy, shut up, and we're just going to go on with the real argument here. Right? I mean, this is almost what you have to do. This is what I said, no, shut up. No, dummy, we're not going to talk about that. This is not even an important position. We're just going to go on with it. Let's talk about the real things in America. Let's talk about the real stuff that matters, and not that. That's a leftist game. Don't play their game. Don't be the other side of the same coin. Don't play on their field. Play on our field and make them come to us. But anyways. So then it says, Meyer, in a rebuttal, noted that Jaffa's broad constructionism was not the only possible reading of America's past and reiterated the usual divided power themes. Moreover, Meyer bluntly denied Jaffa's claims about the place of equality in America's heritage. Quote, the freedom of the individual person from government, not the equality of individual persons, is the central theme of our constitutional arrangements. Freedom and equality are opposites. And this is true, right? <laughs> Meyer was actually stating the truth. The ever-argumentative Frank Meyer was not the only conservative alarmed by Jaffa's apology for Lincoln and equality. Wilmore Kendall feared that Jaffa would launch the nation, quote, upon a political future made up of an endless series of Abraham Lincoln's Lincolns, each persuaded that he is superior in wisdom and virtue to the fathers, each prepared to insist that those who oppose this or that new application of the equality standard are denying the possibility of self-government, each ultimately willing to plunge America into civil war rather than concede his point. And off at the end, of course, the, the cooperative commonwealth of men who will be so equal that no one will be able to tell them apart. Is, was Kendall not correct? Everyone's Abraham Lincoln now. I am embodying Abraham Lincoln. We're going to invoke the ghost of Lincoln. I'm a conservative, so I'm a Lincolnian. Uh, Joe Biden, we believe this proposition. And Lincoln would side with me. Everybody uses Lincoln, and they're all just a bunch of petty dictators. Kendall was correct. The Jaffaites have been wrong the entire time, which is why you have to understand this. And the Jaffaites are Straussians, which I will get to, by the way. I will talk about the Straussians. He gets into them a little bit in this, in this uh, chapter. Francis Wilson accused Jaffa of failing to examine the historical roots of the idea of equality in the Declaration of Independence. Apparently, he does not wish to make any serious inquiry into whether Lincoln's doctrine concerning the Declaration was historically accurate. Well, that's, quote, Barry, that's a very fine quote. Barry Shane has written a huge book. It's a thick book on the Declaration. And, um, I mean, when I wrote that Chronicles piece, he wrote, he said, look, you didn't even go far enough in attacking these people. They're completely full of it. Right? The, the historical document, the historical arguments are based on nothing that they're making. And this is just farce. So the issue was joined. On one side were those conservatives for whom the nation, particularly as forged by Lincoln, was a locus of value. On the other side were such men as Kirk, Meyer, Weaver, and Kilpatrick, for whom the early and more aristocratic republic 
before 1865 was something of a golden age. Well, because it was a federal republic, right, that allowed for the differences to exist. So you could lump me in with those men too. This is this is when you start reading, you go back. Well, this is it. I mean, this you find these things and you find these compatriots. This is what I'm saying is nothing new today. Uh, this this is things that people had said before, but they've been lost because of the ascendancy of the Straussians and the neoconservatives and the elevation of Lincoln to something he was not. If this discussion, if all this discussion between nationalists and states' writers, broad and strict constructionists, could be reduced to an argument about the distant past, one might be inclined to dismiss the dispute as one of little political consequence, but it's actually not a practical consequence. It's not. Certainly, both camps were existentially on the right. Burns, Diamond, and Jaffa all contributed at least once to National Review, which you could argue is not really on the right, but regardless. Jaffa himself was widely believed to be the author of Senator Barry Goldwater's famous extremism remark his acceptance speech at the 1964 Republican Convention. So there's Jaffa working with Barry Goldwater. I have a, a friend who lives in Japan who um, he's, he's uh, served in World War II, writes for the Abbeville Institute, and he was a big Goldwater supporter in the 1960s. And um, I have over my shoulder, you know, the Goldwater, the can behind me, right? That's uh, if, you, if you look back there, you can see the Goldwater can. Um but, you know, Goldwater and Jaffa wasn't in, involved in that. And I've got other people that will say, look, in the 1970s, the Straussians, the neoconservatives, they were the fringe. I mean, they really were the fringe. And it wasn't until you got to Gerald Ford. And then, of course, the real kick was Ronald Reagan, where these people got in and entrenched themselves in all the think tanks and everything else and really transformed American conservatism and relegated American conservatives to um, traditional American conservatives to, you know, outsiders. So then, then Nash says this, Yet something more than rival interpretations of history was at stake. Here, an illuminating clue suggests itself. Burns, Diamond, Jaffa, and certain others who shared their outlook were all disciples of Professor Leo Strauss. Surely this was more than a mere coincidence. A fundamental tenet of Strauss's thought was the superiority of the ancients to the moderns of natural law to individualistic natural rights. The implications of this view for an interpretation of American history were immense. If one was not to concede that America was always fully Lockean, then one had to find non-Lockean elements somewhere. And the tradition of libertarianism, states' rights, and limited government did not always seem a good place to start. For that view was often suffused with a liberal modern emphasis on rights, which Straussians believed to be a massive error. It tended to favor the freewheeling individual over the government. It preferred local and state governments to the federal level. Frequently it praised the self-sufficient man clutching his bundle of rights and warding off our enemy, the state. Thus, an early issue of National Review contained praise of Utah Governor J. Bracken Lee for stoutly refusing to pay his income tax because part of it was spent on foreign aid. Straussian or classical political philosophy, on the other hand, was logically congenial with energetic government, designed to improve the polis, incalculate virtue, and help man attain his natural end. This is exactly what you find in someone like Michael Anton. He just regurgitates all this stuff. And of course, if you listen to any time he talks, my teacher Harry Jaffa, my teacher Harry Jaffa, my teacher Harry Jaffa. It's like a dang broken record. That's what he says, my teacher Harry Jaffa. I mean, this is kind of weird in a way. But certainly, I mean, he's just absorbed Harry Jaffa and then regurgitated Harry Jaffa. That's not really thinking for yourself. 
The nationalistic ideas of union and a powerful government determined to, the, to implement a proposition fitted in very well with Straussianism. For in that concept of politics, the libertarian distinction between state and society, between individual and polis, union, broke down. Very important to understand this, right? Straussianism is nationalism. It is top-down. It believes in government. And Leo Strauss, to answer the, the listener who said, is this the same Leo Strauss? Absolutely. It's absolutely the same Leo Strauss. And there is a bit of myth to it, right? And this is where I started this, this uh, week with myths because Strauss had a certain myth of American history that he had to adhere to. And then all the Straussians did the exact same thing. Myths become important. Frank Meyer never wanted to dismiss heresy, saw the conflict clearly. In his book, In Defense of Freedom, he explicitly attacked classical political philosophy for his failure to conceive the state as a special and limited institution. The ancient Greeks, and by implication their contemporary admirers, including the Straussians, did not free themselves from the polis experience as an organic being, of which individual men are but cells. Meyer emphasized the superiority of Christianity with its incarnation, its stress on the infinite worth of the individual, and its desanctification of the state. Nor is Meyer pleased by Straussian interpretations of the American regime. They were way too Hamiltonian, even authoritarian, to satisfy a man for whom individual freedom and limited government were supreme, and for whom the Tenth Amendment was a good deal more than a truism. This is why you should also read Frank Meyer. Right? He's good. Wilmore Kendall, Frank Meyer, good, good, good. You want to read them if you can. So I'm giving you some suggestions in this week, some things to go out and chew on, right? That's why I hope this podcast is valuable for you. It's not just the same stuff that you get in any kind of mainstream something or other. You need to get these things. Straussian doctrine applied to American history therefore presented a sharp challenge to anti-majoritarian conservatism. For much of the conservatism discussed in the last chapter implicitly or explicitly acquiesced in the natural rights theory of government. Sometimes John Locke was explicitly regarded as a kind of patron saint. Yet here was a group intrepidly claiming that Locke and the moderns were wrong. Which side was correct? Could these positions be reconciled? Was America fundamentally Lockean or not? Were most conservatives crypto-liberals after all? Was What was the true meaning of America? The problem... A confusion and problems suggested by the Straussians and by anti-majoritarian interpretations were viable for all who cared to see. One person who did see with the penetration, perhaps, of genius was a remarkable man for whom some conservatives came to regard as their greatest interpreter of America's political tradition, Wilmore Kendall. So I'm not going to talk about Wilmore Kendall, but I wanted to address Strauss. So yes, Strauss is at the heart, and these are the West Coast Straussians, these are the Jaffaites, the East Coast Straussians have gone neoconservative, right? I mean, it's not just the oppressive state that they want, but they also are, I mean, as I said, more bellicose, more interested in aggressive foreign policy because America is this bringer of the moral good to the rest of the world. And this is the city-on-a-hill nonsense. All that stuff that McClay talked about was all embodied in Straussianism and nationalism, a distorted understanding of America, as many conservatives have pointed out for decades before Jaffa and the others started getting involved in this. What we need to do is return American conservatism Well, it was pre-1960s. When people really did believe in the Federal Republic, if you were a conservative. And not some distorted 19th century liberal utopia that is a complete myth because it's a lie. 
It's not just something that uh, is uh, is built on some truth. It's built on a house of cards. It's all built on a lie. All right. So I hope that answered the question at least somewhat about who the Straussians are. I mean, this book by Nash is so good, you got to get it. You're going to read it, and then you're going to buy like 100 books because you're just going to get all the stuff in it. If you're a book buyer and your spouse hates that, I don't care if you're male or female, you're going to be on there shopping on you know ABE books, and you're going to be out there looking at eBay and Amazon and trying to find all these out-of-print books. You're going to get them. I guarantee it. It just becomes this, oh, I got to read this. I got to read this. You go down the rabbit hole and you can't stop. It's really quite enjoyable, actually, but um, it's um, it, it, it can consume a lot of your time. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. 